Shalom, everyone. This is Shomerman coming at you with the final week of Elul and a little introduction and little discourse on Shlikot. So without further ado, let's begin with the opening bracha and get right away with some insights. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, Noten haTorah. Amen. Adonai, may you immerse us in your voice of living waters, and may you Cleanse us and purify us from all of our sin and iniquities. And may you bind us to Mashiach Yeshua, the Lapid, and may you consume us in your devouring fire. Amen. So, we have reached the climax of the 40 days, and we are in the final week uh, leading up to Rosh Hashanah. So, with that being said, um, different... Uh, communities like you know between Ashkenazi Sephardi so on and so forth have all these different traditions and customs which are not to be confused with commandments because sometimes things that are mean hogs or mean hog uh, sometimes get confused to be mitzvot and it's like that's a mean hog not a mitzvah so with that being said if you are a person who is diligently Looking into what goes on with reciting Slikot, which are the penitential prayers that you recite between Elul and Yom Kippur, uh, you will find so many different ways that this is done. So, with that being said, at Sar Shalom, in the Lapid community, we definitely go with the Ashkenazi tradition on this one, or the Ashkenazi main hog, of starting Shlikot on the midnight of the week that precedes Rosh Hashanah. So in other words, Rosh Hashanah is coming up on a Yom Shani, or a Yom Shani uh, in about seven, eight, almost eight days from now. And uh, we are beginning our Shlikot now so that we get a full week in there. And basically sometimes, depending on when Rosh Hashanah falls, their Shlikot would start uh, sooner. And uh, or like there's a specific time frame that this happens. But with our current situation, our current circumstance, we begin now at midnight. And the thing is, you recite Shlikot uh, anytime between midnight and before sunrise. And there's this idea of waking up early to plead to Hashem and literally the text says beg for mercy. So uh, this is on my Jewish learning, uh, a very practical, simple uh, resource for Anything Judaism that you may be checking into. Again, it's important to note that all final halakha guidance, the way that everything would be done and, and uh, the way that you would walk in and proceed with things, which is really what halakha is, always falls to your rabbi. So that's why it's important to be a part of a mishpaka who has a rabbi and who has a Beit Din. 
because if you don't have those things, you're missing some very, very important safeguards and you don't want to be a lone wolf and you don't want to be somebody that's out there trying to figure it all out by yourself and have no accountability. So um, Baruch Hashem for what we have here at Lapid. And with that being said, when you get into all the different commentary, like some of the insights that I'm sharing here, you want to make sure that you follow up with your Beit Dean. So literally, we always say, see a Zakin immediately. So make sure you do that. And also make good use of what your rabbi is going to eliminate. And so just for this, the fact of not being vague, I'm going to go ahead and defer to Rabbi Griffin because that is my rabbi and that is the rabbi of our shul. So get you some of that. And uh, so anyway, this uh, article that I'm sharing here is just going to kind of be uh, a little platform and I will be dropping some Sador and Makzor uh, as well. But this kind of does a good job of introducing everything. So, this is from Rabbi Reuven Hammer, and it says, The Makzur Vitri, which is an 11th century work describing the yearly cycle of observances and prayers, tells us that, quote-unquote, it is a custom to begin on the Saturday night before Rosh Hashanah to rise early to the synagogue before sunrise and beg for mercy. In other words, one of the poetic texts recited this verse. At the conclusion of the day of rest, we come first to meet you, incline your ear from above, you who dwells amongst praise, to hear the song and prayer. It says, Shlikot prayers for Shlikot prayers for forgiveness are ancient prayers already mentioned in the Mishnah. They originated as prayers for fast days. So that's one of the, the things that was the first level of what you might run into that may seem kind of confusing is we're reciting Shlikot, but this, these are not fast days. In antiquity, it would be a fast day. Um, for example, let's see here in my notes. All right, it says that the tradition of reciting Shlikot throughout Elul, the month preceding Rosh Hashanah, may stem from the fact that it was customary to fast six days before Rosh Hashanah, since the Shlikot originated as prayers for fast days. It followed naturally that they would be recited at this time. So that's kind of that time frame that I was telling you about. So you're six days before Rosh Hashanah. Sometimes, with, depending on how Rosh Hashanah falls out, you'd either start on, you know, the midnight of the uh, Saturday that precedes Rosh Hashanah or at a different time. We're at least making sure that we're within six days so that we don't end up, you know, being past or having less than six days before Rosh Hashanah and just now beginning Shlikot. So, with all that being said, I want to go ahead and jump into the Men's Complete Art Scroll Sidur. And this is on page 816 and 817. It says, Yom Kippur 
Okay. No, it doesn't say that. That's in the Yom Kippur Magzor. So stand by for that. It says, in, in introducing the laws of fast, Rambam with a mem, sets forth the principle that the Torah requires us to gather, pray, repent, and beg for heavenly mercy whenever the community is threatened by natural or human calamity. On the other hand, for one to maintain that catastrophe is inevitable or that it can be avoided only by recourse to human remedy is cruel. For not only will such a course never lead people to improve themselves and thereby merit God's mercy, it will result in further divine punishment. One means of bringing about teshuva is fasting, and therefore the sages ordained the public fast be proclaimed in times of calamity. And that's from Rambam Hilkot Taniot 1, 1 through 4. And so again, you, you think about the fast days and things like that. And again, there's talking about all the calamity and catastrophes and the threats and things like that. Well, with Rosh Hashanah coming up, it's a very, very serious day. And it's not like the threat in which we want to look back on things like Inquisition, Holocaust, destructions of temples, and, and things of those natures. But for the fact of being prepared before our king, you know, this is the beginning of the time of judgment. You know, Rosh Hashanah is judgment day. And Yom Kippur is considered the final seal of that judgment. So, you know, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you really want to make sure that you have things in order. And so when you get into Shlikot and you get into fasting and you get into um, what we're talking about here, stirring up Teshuva, you know, that's kind of what the Shlikot are going into. And I want to go ahead and drop this. Um, because, uh, Rabbi Hammer here, that's, that's an interesting last name, but, um, he drops this actually from the Tana de Be Eliyahu Zuta, which is a Midrashic work that dates to, or at latest to the 19th century. It mentions a special service for forgiveness instituted by Melech David, when he realized the temple would be destroyed. Now remember, Melech David was not alive when the temple was, when it was finally ready to go and inaugurated that came through Melech Shlomo. And then you have the second temple that was co uh, constructed after Babylon and fell in about AD 70 of our common era. And so, yes, it's almost been basically 2000 years uh, since the destruction of the second temple. So when you go with that, where we're, what we're looking at is Melech David here from this Midrash, even before the temple is built, realizes that the temples are going to be destroyed. So that's where we start. And um, if I can go ahead and plug back to or connect to the Haftar reportions that we've been reading throughout the month of Elul, there have been different selections from Yeshayahu. And the prophet Yeshayahu gave forth the, uh, the hope of redemption, the destruction, the rebuilding, the return. He gave the whole nine, like he gave the whole everything about 
this whole time frame before the temple was destroyed. So the end from the beginning here is what's happening. So, you know, the same thing right here is shown to David. So when you see Melech David from this Midrash, it says, he asks, how will they attain atonement? He asked Hashem and was told that the people would recite the order of Shlikot and would then be forgiven. Let me repeat that. Melech David asked Hashem, how will they attain atonement? And Hashem's answer to that about attaining atonement, the people would recite the order of Shlikot and would then be forgiven. God, okay, going on. God even showed David that this act of contrition would include a recitation of the 13 attributes of mercy. A descriptive passage from Shemot that expresses God's merciful nature. So that the 13 attributes are in Shemot 34, 6 through 7. There's a lot to say on that, including a Talmudic portion that I will shortly get into. But what I want to point out is the next thing that Rabbi Hammer goes on to say is he says the letters of Hashem's divine name was consistently understood by the rabbis as referring to the appearance of God in his attribute of mercy. Therefore, its repetition in this passage indicated God was merciful at all times. And so one of the most consistent things that you will find in looking up the Shlikot is that no matter which one you do, it always includes the 13 attributes of mercy. So it's kind of like your core and it's kind of like your anchor. Or it pretty much is your core. It is your anchor. And then uh, it is customarily done in a minion, which is why minions are so important. And Lapid currently, even as I'm doing this Josh, they have a minion gathering and, and doing this. And so... Uh, unfortunately, I was not able to attend that, but with the help of Hashem, um, you know, we will all be linked up and in the merits of us all being up right now past midnight and beseeching Hashem and getting into the understanding and the depths and the insights of Shlikot, you know, may this be merit. I mean, so with that all being said as well. What we're looking at here is getting into Hashem's mercy. Like, that's what the focus is. And, you know, really pouring out your heart, really making those tekinot, which is supplications, you know, intercession, you know, for ourselves, for our community, for our brothers, you know, for Yisrael as a nation. I mean, that's what we're doing. So when you look at how the Shlikot are built, you know, there are sections in the uh, Sidur that start, you know, with an introduction. And then it has specific prayers that correspond to the various fast days. And then after that, this is interesting. I read this. Yep. This is from the Men Archgirl Sidur. It says that. On all the rabbinically ordained fast days, the Shlikot 
follow the framework, follow the same framework. First, there is a common introductory section, which are pages 816 through 820, and this is followed by two supplications recited by the congregation and concluded by the Chazan and a Pizmon, which is a prayer that is recited responsively. So you got this duality going on, and obviously two Mashiachs. So kind of like this concept of the two Mashiachs here, that we are, uh, even in our prayers and how we're doing the Shlikot, you know, there's, you know, the covering of the two Mashiachs. The idea of the intercession and everything that's going on. And so it says a prayer, the peace mind is a prayer that's recited responsibly. And when you look at the two supplications recited by the congregation, concluded by the Chazan and the Pizmon, it says each of these supplications and the Pizmon is followed by El Melech Yoshev and the 13 attributes. Okay, so then you do that. So you got your introduction and then you got your two supplications and then you got your 13 attributes with uh, El Melech Yoshev, which is God, the king who dwells and then or God, the king who is enthroned. It's interesting. You can do Yoshev for sit or enthroned or dwells. It's all the same word there. And then it says, and finally, okay, so introduction, two supplications, then these two, um, the pairs here about the king enthroned and the 13 attributes. And then you got, and finally, that there is another section on um, pages 828 through 836, common to all Shlikot, which includes, among other prayers, an appeal that God recall the merit of the patriarchs. Please, uh, it says, please that he answer us and a confession of sins. So again, you have please, you have confessions, you're beseeching Hashem. It's in the merit of the patriarchs, you know, and then you have congregational like the communal support and prayer, and then you have the introduction of Sleeko to self. So there's a lot that's going on, and that's like Baruch Hashem. And so these prayers are happening at various points in the year, but definitely on this final week as we head into Rosh Hashanah, we're saying these prayers daily. And so the idea and the overarching concept is to any time between midnight and sunrise, you want to make sure that you are uh, really beating the sun, <laughs> so to speak, and arising and begging and making your pleas to Hashem about your sin and, and pouring out your heart in that. So want to index there with that Sidur. And now I'm going to jump over to the Machzor. And the Machzor, because Shlikot happened on Yom Kippur. And so what's interesting about this is it says, let's see here, ordinarily, all supplications and confessions are omitted on the Shabbat. But 
Yom Kippur is the exception to this rule. Even when Yom Kippur falls on a Shabbat, they are recited. And then it says this consideration. Okay, hang on, hang on. Okay, so it's going into an insight from the Vilna Gaon. So I'm just going to put this all together so that it is cohesive and it makes sense. It says the Vilna Gaon from Be'ur Hagra Orach Chaim 619 explains that the supplications recited after Shimon Esre on Yom Kippur night. Okay, so this is basically on the Arab of Yom Kippur. It says they're regarded as part of the text of the Shimon Esrei. So when we're making the supplications on Yom Kippur, they're regarded as part of the Shimon Esrei, according to the Vilna Gaon. Says this consideration is based on the insertion of similar supplications during the Chazan's repetition of the other Shemoni Esrei prayers of Yom Kippur. It is only the additional supplications which are not regarded as part of the Shemoni Esrei that are omitted on the Shabbat. Okay, so basically, you know, there's the different sets of supplications so that is uh, adjusted depending on what's actually going on with the Shimoni Esrei with Yom Kippur and with the Shimoni Esrei of a particular Shabbat. And so continuing on it says and for this reason Avinu Malkenu is not recited when Yom Kippur falls on the Shabbat except for Avinu Malkenu following Ne'ilah. So you have your Ne'ilah service and pulling up the Magzor here just to kind of give a quick little overview and uh, brief fallout here. So you have your um, Arab Yom Kippur service. So entering into Yom Kippur and you go right into Kol Nidre. Okay, so that's your nullification of all vows. And then you have your Neilah service, which is the closing of the gates. And so what this is, this is taking you into the final hours of Yom Kippur. And then you're doing the Avinu Malkinu. You're doing the shofar sound. And then you're exiting from Yom Kippur, basically. And so now you'd go into the Kiddush Levana. You'd have some uh, food. You know, like all that would start happening there, uh, obviously, with Havdalah and all that. So, depending on how your rabbi wants to do it, uh, that's how you roll. So, you'll get to do your supplication prayers, your Slikot, um, as far as if any parts of the Slikot happen on uh, the Ne'ilah service, the closing of the gates. So, going into the final hours of Yom Kippur that night. You would do that. Want to go ahead and go back to the footnotes here in this in the Makzor for Yom Kippur. It says Yom Kippur is the only festival during which there is an extended order of prayers following the Ma'ariv Amida. In keeping with the theme of the day, these prayers include supplications for forgiveness and confession of sin. So here's what I want to key in on. Like if you don't get anything. Out of all the the different sources and inserts that I'm sharing, get this. 
that the Shlikot are basically supplications for forgiveness and confessions of sin. Anything that Hashem is pouring through you by His Ruach HaKodesh and flowing from the words that you read, you know, the, the writings of the emissaries, you know, full of that, the Besorah, full of that, you know, the Torah for sure about the things that we do. And if we don't uphold those things that are in the Torah, then these are sins that we have to confess, you know, and we vocalize it to Hashem. With that being said, as this is all happening, any form of that that you do is a sleek oat, okay? So even if you don't have a sador, even if you're having trouble finding sleek oat online, just look for passages about forgiveness and confession of sin and vocalize those. The things that you wanted to write down that Rabbi Griffin exhorted us to do at the beginning of Elul, this is definitely a great time to get that done and finalize it and vocalize it to Hashem and then literally burn it up, destroy it, get it out of your life. Hashem. So now, continuing on, it says the word Shlikot, literally Samik, Lamed, Yod, Vav, Tav, Shlikot. And I know Samik Lamed is in there. That's very, very interesting because... You know, Samik Lamed is considered to be, you know, the adversary. And, you know, for that reason, we don't say his Samik name in uh, complete spelling. We just do the first and last letter. And what you see here in Shlikot is you see Chai and then you see the Vav and Tav after the uh, Samik Lamed. So there's life. And then the Vav and Tav, which are the final two letters of the word for Mot, which is death. And you see that we have the uh, the word Chai right before the Vav Tav, which Chai is the word for life. So within the Shli code itself, you get a illusion, a picture, if you will. If you think about the three parts of this word, if you break it down like that, two letters, two letters, two letters. You know, again, remember, there's the introductory Sleekote. Then there's the two supplications, you know, from the congregation and then the Kazan and, uh, conclusion. And then um, what did it say here? You got the Pizmon, you know, the responsive prayer. So you got those two. And then you have the uh, God, the king enthroned and the 13 attributes. You have those two. And then you have the um, appeal that God recalled the merit of the patriarchs. And then you have the pleas and the confessions. So, you know, you have that section. So if you put that together, you definitely have a two, two, two. You have the introduction and ending. And then the two and the two in the middle of that. So that's where I'm kind of going with breaking down Schlicote. And so you see with confessions, with forgiveness and asking for forgiveness, Slika, with confession, asking for forgiveness, you have this idea of freeing yourself from the adversary's grip and coming into life from death. And the root of this word is shlach, which is samik lamet chet, which means forgive. So you look at samik lamet chet. And you have the Samik Lamet with the Ket. And Ket is actually the letter that is, if you spell it out, it makes the word for sin. And so the sin 
and the adversary. When you put those two things together, you want to ask for forgiveness from our sins, which this is a, a time that I want to take and kind of give my personal little testimony and confession of the week that uh, during Parashakitavo, you'll notice I did not have any post updates on the midnight tour studies of that week. Well, because I was dealing with some challenges. And so with that being said, uh, definitely did not uh, refrain from studying. There was definitely a lot of insights and uh, crazy, intense, deep things that were dropped. But at the same time, there was crazy, intense and deep things that were happening, you know, just within my uh, spirit and and uh, desires that I've been battling uh, with, you know, just challenges. So what do what do I mean? What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that when you look at the Chet with the Samic Lamed, the the sin that we constantly have to face, which is whether or not we're going to serve Hashem and whether or not we're going to give in to the things that we're naturally bent towards. Because, you know, all of us have some form of Chet. I mean, it's crazy because, you know, you think, oh, we're so spiritual. We are Torah observant. Like how in the world, like we're, we should be so spiritual that sin is not really an issue. And that's true. But then at the same time, there there is an issue. You know, it's called the human condition. It's called the human psyche, our fallen nature, or whatever you want to call it. There's this element of who we are in this world that there's a weight that is placed on us. And that weight is not placed on us. And it's not to handicap us, but it's actually to make us stronger. You know, I, the whole, this whole week I thought about the concept of people who run, like specifically track, because I used to do this in high school. Yes, I used to run track and I ran the quarter, which is the 400 meter. And then I ran the relays, the 400 meter relay and the mile relay. And, um, you know, the weirdest thing about that is training would be taking ankle weights and wearing them throughout the day. And you wear these for an extended amount of time. And obviously you take them off and you do your uh, practice and your training and your trials and runs and things like that. And so I was thinking about that picture that, you know, first of all, you look weird because you're wearing these. And it's just like we're in class and walking through hallways. And it's like, why you got ankle weights on? Oh, you know, you must run track. And it's just kind of like weird, you know, but it's like that's part of your training. So not only do you look weird, but you also have extra weight that is on you as you're trying or as you're not trying, you're doing life, you know. And so that's the same thing with our challenges that we're naturally bent towards of whether or not we're going to uphold the word of God, you know, and we do fall short and I do fall short. Here's what I learned that the Samic Lamed only gets as much power as we give him. That's very, very convicting to myself, even as I say it, because most of my challenges that I faced that I thought I would not be able to overcome came from the power that I gave to it. And this is why we have to be careful what we're thinking. This is why we have to be careful with 
the environments that we choose to place ourselves in. This is why we have to be careful with what our eyes are focused on, what our what our uh, ears are hearing, what words are coming out of our mouth. You know, the beautiful campaign that Hashem placed on Rabbi Griffin's heart this year, so legit, is Shemras Halashon, the guarding of the tongue, guarding from evil speech. And the campaign that, you know, we have been just with all that we are, baseless love and Lashon Kodesh, like trying to love without a cause and trying to improve our speech and and praying about that, asking Hashem to help us, you know, like pull us up. Oh, my word. And so you think about what's been going on with that. And it's just like, wow, if we really control these things, Samik Lamed has less and less of something to grab a hold of to pull us, you know, and, and that's the goal. And that's also the painful hard part, <laughs> you know, because I, I was talking to Amira earlier this week and uh, she she knew something was wrong with me. And she's just like, hey, Matt, how's it going? And I was like, oh, good. And she's like, oh, I don't think so. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to do this, you know. And she's like, what's happening? And I was like, well, basically, I got my safety blanket on. And sometimes, you know, I just feel like I don't want to let my safety blanket go because, you know, things are really crazy right now. She's like, seriously, you think your blanket's better than Hashem's blanket? And uh, she pretty much dropped the microphone and walked away after that. And so that was uncalled for violence in the workplace. And, uh, you know, that was really convicting, but that's why she's called a mirror. She says, you know, it's just kind of like, wow. Because, um, you know, a mirror is based off of Omar, which means to say. And she spoke it out and it was like such deep truth where it was just like, man, why are you holding on to a safety blanket? You know better. You know, you're Torah observant. And it's just like, why you got to be pulling out the Torah card right now? Like, we don't need to talk about this. <laughs> it's just like. That is the thing, though. So what I hope is encouraging is that we understand that if we really change our essence through serious stirring up of what's going on in our hearts and our minds and taking the opportunity that the sleek coat grant us and really, I mean, because there are a lot, there are a heap a lot of prayers that are in the sleek coat. You're just like, wow. I don't know. It's probably like over 16 pages. And you're just like, that's a lot of praying, you know, and to think how much time do we have before sunrise? It's like, yeah, that's why we start at midnight. But um, don't let these prayers be mechanical and uh, exhausting in the sense of I'm just trying to get through these words. I'm just trying to make sure I pray every single sleek coat. That's not the goal. The goal is to really like embody the confession, embody the forgiveness that you're pleading for Hashem to or pleading to Hashem for. And, and that's that's intense, you know, and um, we were praying as a Mishpaka for Abdallah. And I got this overwhelming vision of what's happening during this week. This is like the climax of the 40 days of Shuva, you know, 
well, this is the first of two because the second climax will be Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. Like, if you ain't getting it in those 10 days, man, don't be Nabal, basically, is what I got to say. Chaspe Shalom that we become like Nabal. Nabal, read about him as far as the guy who went against King David and had some issues. His wife, Abigail, um, you know, bless her heart for being such a Eshekayil trying to help but uh you know Nabal didn't take care of business between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and he ended up pretty much dying for that and so um Teshuvah forgiveness confession pleading to Hashem and that's what you really want to focus on with your prayers and so again so with the Samiklamet and the Chet things were naturally bent towards the ploys and tactics and uh everything that happens with the adversary you know give him less power and, and really seek Hashem in that and again so as I'm talking and, and praying you know after Abdallah it was just kind of like wow like this is going to be really intense and I read from the Mayom Loez what did I read from the Mayom Loez I'll tell you what I read because I took a picture it's um, Devarim 29, 4 through 5. And this is back in Parshaki Taibo, because it was definitely some Taibo going on. But um, it's talking about the clothes not wearing out. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the key phrase here, well, I'm going to not read the whole thing, but kind of read a little bit. Just this little paragraph. It says, The clouds of glory which surrounded the Jews as they journeyed through the desert, preserved their clothing and their shoes. The clouds of glory did that. What are the clouds of glory? They're a mixture of fire and water that are protect from the sun by day, and they're to warm you up from the coldness of the nighttime. Because I don't know if you knew this, but like the desert has very, very drastic temperatures. Uh, the closest I've been to a desert is El Paso, Texas. Get you some of that. <laughs> and it is weird. You're just like, why is it so hot? And then it's nighttime. Why is it so cold? Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm going to die. But anyway, clouds of glory kept a stable environment, but that's not the miracle. The miracle is that the clothing and the shoes didn't wear out because of that. Midrash Shabbat goes into way more detail, talks about how it was a dry cleaning service, and, uh, you know, it's just constantly pressing on the children of Israel from above and below and on all sides and making sure their clothes stay fresh and clean. Yep. So fresh and so clean, clean. That's where that came from. Yeah. But anyway, it says going on, thus those clothes which the Jews wore did not become worn out. In contrast, those which they took out of Mitzrayim and kept in their store chests did not become worn over time or did become worn over time. Sleek eye, that's a big difference. That which they took out of Mitzrayim and kept in their store chests did become worn over time. And this is kind of connecting back to my safety blanket that I was talking about. There's things that were in my store chest that I kept hidden away that I thought was going to protect me. And I thought was going to preserve me. And it's just like, nope, that very thing that you're holding on to and keeping that you're not currently wearing, that you're not currently letting the clouds of glory interact with, that is what's wearing out. 
And that's what these 40 days of Shuba, Bezrat Hashem, have been doing for a lot of us who feel like we've get we've gotten our grill kicked in. That Hashem is is really admonishing us and allowing us through series of circumstances to get rid of our store chest that we took out of Egypt. You don't need that stuff. Hashem says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm raining down manna and your clothes that you're wearing, you know, they're growing with you. They're not wearing out your shoes. You're fine. You got plenty. You got all that you need. Everything looks great. You don't stink as far as your clothes go. So if you stink, that's another issue. It's not your clothes. And so, you know, I was just thinking about all that, that when we say, forgive us Hashem, I confess my sins, let all that stuff go. And what we're currently wearing and what we're currently clothed in and what we're walking in, that's our daily renewed clothing of Mashiach. Yes, the the being clothed in Messiah. That's what Hashem grants us daily. As we convert daily, as we make Teshuvah daily, turning ourselves toward Him, turning away from our past, turning away from our previous sins, that's how we change our essence. Rabbi Griffin also, you know, has admonished that for us as Lapid, that not only are we guarding our, our language, but we're also changing our essence. We're coming completely, becoming completely new. And um, just look at the, the drosh that Rabbi Griffin gave about the 40 days of Shuba. Incredible, immaculate. And here we are in it. And here we are in the phase, you know, we're like we're in the middle of that phase of changing over and, and transfiguring, quite honestly. And, and what that takes and what that means, you know. So that's my encouragement I wanted to just kind of share from my personal testimony is that you know, we got to quit giving so much power away to Islamic Lamet. You know, stop letting that happen. And it's easier said than done. Believe me, I know that, trust that, but we can do it because we can do all things through Mashiach Yeshua who strengthens us. That's where that comes into play. That Philippians passage, using the Shlikot to to take advantage of that. So now to kind of finish up here. In uh, the Yom Kippur Magzor, it says, These prayers have the purpose of seeking God's forgiveness. They follow the general format of the Shlikot prayers that had been recited daily, except for the Shabbat and Rosh Hashanah, since several days before Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so like the Magzor Shlikot are a little different. Okay, but they kind of follow the same format. And then it says, uh, I'll go ahead and just share this. This is extra information for your charge. Even though it's not Shabbat and I can charge you, I'm not. Okay, so it says the composers, I'm just kidding. The composers of these supplications include some of the outstanding figures of Talmudic times. These aren't Joe Schmoes. These aren't like, I don't know anything, msu.com, Google Jockey type prayers. This is like outstanding figures of Talmudic times. Okay. And so this is when the temple was in existence. This is men of greater assembly and even beyond that going back. So some of this, some of these um, prayers that we have are from these type of people. And it says others 
lived in the time of and are ranked among the Gionim and Rishonim. Consequently, it should be clear that their compositions are infinitely more than inspired poetry. Poetry. Whenever possible, the commentary includes some biographical information about the composer. So pay attention to your footnotes and you can see and look into the life just a little bit and the character, the essence of some of the people who wrote these prayers. So when you're doing Schleekoat, that's what's up. So now I'm going to go ahead and drop some Talmud to kind of close us out. Some Rosh Hashanah 17. A. Um, where am I going to drop in at here? Why not with Hillel? Hillel the Great. It says the master said above, Bet Hillel say, He that abounds in grace inclines the scales towards grace. How can this be? Seeing that it is written, And I shall bring the third part through the fire. That refers to the wrongdoers of Israel who sin with their body. Wrongdoers of Israel who sin with their body. But you said there is no remedy for them. There is no remedy for them when their iniquities are more numerous than their good deeds. We now speak of those whose iniquities and good deeds are evenly balanced, but whose iniquities include that which is committed by sinners of Israel with their bodies. In that case, they cannot escape the doom of I shall bring a third through fire, but otherwise, in regard to them, he that is in abundant grace inclines towards grace. And of them, David said, I love that Hashem should hear. And on this verse, Rabbah discoursed as follows. What is meant by the words, I love that Hashem should hear. The community, the community of Yisrael exclaimed before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Sovereign of the universe, when am I beloved in your sight? At the time when you hear the voice of my supplications. I was brought low and he saved me. Although I am poor and the performance of religious duties, yet it is fitting to save me. So, he that abounds in grace inclines the scales towards grace. So, first of all, Rabbi Griffin dropped this on the Parashat Kitavo um, Drosh from Shabbat, like literally this week, this year. So, 5778, you know, Parashat Kitavo, you can go and check that Drosh out. It's amazing. Uh, it starts off very, very intricately. You know, if you blink, you miss so many wonderful little um, bombs that he drops, you know, but he keeps going and then it just escalates and then it's just all in your face. You know, you just can't help but see it. So in that drosh, he talks about how if we're in Torah over time, we should be increased in grace. And so I look over to Dr. Sakal and he go and I said, so it's interesting that he just said that because when you look at what's in Yochanan, chapter one, it says that the law came through Moshe, but grace came through Yeshua. And so think about that. If being in Torah, Moshe, over time, we abound 
and grace, which is Yeshua. So you read that verse in Yochanan and it's like, yeah, Yeshua came after Moshe. And I've always been a proponent of, well, which one really came first? Was it Moshe or was it Yeshua? And we know Yeshua was before creation. So there's that. But here's the deal. It's Moshe and Yeshua like together, you know, doing this. And it's just like, where have we seen this before? Oh, yeah. And, and uh, Parsha, you know, I mean, it's in Bamibar and it's also in now our double Parsha for this year, 5778. We're putting uh, Nitzavim and Vayelik, double portion, together and reading that before Rosh Hashanah. And so that's what this week's Torah portion is, is double portion. And in there, you, you have this yoking of Moshe and Yehoshua, Yeshua. And with that being the case, their their lives are connected and they're the leaders of the community. And so they're kind of going hand in hand. So the law is going hand in hand with grace. And that should that should be what's happening. And so when we abound in that grace, because we're in Torah, <coughs> the scales of grace are inclined for us. So even if we don't even know, because I guarantee some of us, we don't really know, myself included. Do our iniquities outweigh our good deeds? Even if we don't think they do, we should probably see ourselves as they probably outweigh. And so we don't have any uh, room here to be like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. So when that's the case, we need to make sure that we're inclining our grace so that the scales of judgment can be inclined in grace. So that's Rosh Hashanah 17a that's doing that. And then Rosh Hashanah 17b. This is probably one of the most get you sums of understanding Hashem's manifestation. Because, again, one of the biggest um, tactics of just pretty much anyone who's against understanding oral Torah and commentary that Hashem doesn't manifest like Rosh Hashanah 17b. Just submit that to the table and say, what is this? Because check this out. It says Rosh Hashanah 17b. And the Lord, which is Hashem, passed before him and proclaimed. Okay, so that is Parsha Kitisa. And then it says, um, Rabbi Yohanan said, were it not written in the text, it would be impossible for us to say such a thing. This verse teaches us. Hakadosh Baruku drew his robe round him like the reader of a congregation and showed Moshe the order of prayer. So if Hashem don't manifest, but he's taking a robe and being like the reader of the congregation, which, by the way, the footnote says literally an emissary, the one pointed out to lead the congregational prayers. It is usual for such a one to draw his robe over his head. This is typically the chazan, but a strong case could be made for the goodbye. And I know I'm a little biased on that because I'm a goodbye, but, you know, let's go with chazan for 300. The chazan is the only one who wears his tallit, like, all the time. Even if his 
the middle of the day for Minka, even if it's the middle of the night for Marev or whatever. Anytime he's leading the congregation in prayer, homeboy, homeboy has got the robe wrapped around him. Because why? Because that's what Hashem did when he was showing us prayer service. Rosh Hashanah 17b. Like, seriously? Hashem, the Chazan? He, he was a Chazan before. Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer. Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer brings that out about Hashem conducting the ceremony for Adam and Hava when they got uh, when they entered into Kiddushin, which is marriage, underneath the hoopah. So Hashem was a chazan for that. But anyway, it says HaKadosh Baruch did this and it showed Moshe the order of prayer. He said to them, whenever Yisrael sin, let them carry out this service before me and I will forgive them. This is the matri this is the uh so yeah, the merit of the patriarchs, by the way, looking at these thirteen attributes. It says read from the Torah the passage containing the thirteen attributes. That's the footnote. Now, the merit of the patriarchs and the thirteen attributes, we do put those things together. And you know, so they're kind of parallel, correlated, however you want to say it, but there's this idea and understanding that we evoke the merit of the patriarchs and we evoke Hashem's glory, which are the 13 attributes. And so it's kind of like the glory of Hashem can be seen through the patriarchs. And if you really study the patriarchs and see like why they're so important, why they're so foundational for Israel as a nation and why Mashiach is the great mountain before Zerubbabel and the copious amounts of Midrash that go into what is that? Mashiach is that mountain, the great mountain before Zerubbabel, greater than the patriarchs, greater than Moshe. It's just kind of like, why is that even a thing that Mashiach would need to be greater than those? Well, that's because we're talking about merit. We're talking about essence. We're talking about a mountain that we're, <laughs> we're under, you know, and it's just like, okay. So we're looking at all this here and we're wrapped up in a tallit or Hashem is wrapped up in a tallit and we're speaking these words, which that means we're wrapping up in words. We're covering ourselves with atonement through Mashiach, through the patriarchs, through Moshe, through Torah, through what Hashem has shown us, through the Slikot, you know, purification, atonement, all that's happening. And then it goes into the 13 attributes. So let's read them out. It says, Hashem, Hashem, I am the eternal before a man sins and I am the eternal before a man sins and the same after a man sins and repents. I'm stopping right there on purpose because think about that. Hashem's eternal and before man sins and the same after man sins and repent. So it's just kind of like, well, then why are we repenting then? Because if Hashem is the same before we sin, and then he'll be the same after we repent. That's not that's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, what are you doing sinning and being in need of repentance for? Again, don't be given to some Islamic power. You know, that's what's happening. So this is all about drawing near to Hashem. And we can't draw near to Hashem if we're stuck in sin and hanging on to things from Mitzrayim and expecting them to hold up for us. 
Because in order for us to really embrace what we've taken from Mitzrayim, that means we forsake what Hashem has granted us in the clouds of glory. We forsake what Hashem is giving us now, what He has given us in this moment, what He's given us as daily bread. You know, daily bread is more than just food. You know, when the manna came down, there were precious stones and jewels. Hashem was lavishing His love on His people. This is why they were so loaded when they were entering into the land. It's just like, how in the world did you make this much money and gain this much possession and you're traveling and you have like nothing? It's just like, well, Hashem gave me this. It's just like, that's a rare stone that is so valuable. And it's just like, yeah, I want to cash this in and get some stuff. And it's just like, you just bought our whole city. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Just like, well, all right, Baruch Hashem, let's uh, convert everybody and uh, bring some Torah. Let's bring some light to the world, you know. That's the power that we have in these moments, these times with Hashem. I know it's crazy. I just feel like I'm just swerving off into crazy territories. But, man, just think about this. So, anyway, I'm eternal before man sins and the same after man sins and repents. A God merciful and gracious. Rab Yehuda said, a covenant has been made with the 13 attributes that they will not be turned away empty handed. As it says, behold, I make a covenant. And it said that is in, where are we at here? Yep, Shemot 3410, behold, I am making a covenant. In front of all your people, I will do wonders such as have not been created anywhere on earth or in any nation. All the people around you will see the work of Adonai. What I am going to do through you will be awesome. So there you go. So then it says, Rabbi Yohanan said, Great is the power of Teshuvah, that it rescinds a man's final sentence. As it says, Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they sing with their eyes and hearing with their ears and understanding with their heart return and be healed. Yeshayahu chapter 6 verse 10. Rabbi Papa said to uh, Abaye, Perhaps this was before the final sentence, question mark. He replied, it is written and be healed. And what is that which requires healing? You must say the final sentence. So that's the index that I'm going to give on Rosh Hashanah 17b. Okay, so 13 attributes, Shemot 34, 6 through 7. And then you see that it's a covenant when you go to verse 10. And then you have this power of Teshuva and uh, Rabbi Yohanan and Rabbi Papa and Abaye on Yeshayahu 6. And so when you look at this, what this is saying is that if you see with your eyes and you hear with your ears and understand with your heart and you return, Hashem will resend your final sentence. So that's why I was saying, when you're going through these sleek coat, don't just go through them. 
Ask Hashem to give us eyes to see. Ask Hashem to give us ears to hear. Hearts and minds which will understand so that we can turn to Hashem and be healed. Forgiven of sin and confessing it all out there and, and being healed, rectified, changing our essence. Baruch Hashem. So this is the Shlikot. So hopefully this was helpful that you can look in the complete uh, Art Scrolls Sidur. Look at the uh, Makzor for Yom Kippur. And in these final seven days where we're reciting Shlikot, we're putting Hashem on the throne. We're praying the 13 attributes, preferably in a minion. But if you don't got a minion, still pray it because it's necessary. And um, cry out to Hashem about your sin, you know, and confess. Make confessions. So if you have trouble finding Shliko prayers, that's what we need to do. Confess. Repent. Shemot 34, chapter, or Shemot 34, 6 through 7. You know, and Yeshayahu, uh, again, that was chapter 6, verse 10. You know, eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts and minds to know you are Adonai, God. Return us to you. Amen. So what do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher natan lanu Torah temet, Vekaye olam natabetokeinu, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten haTorah, Amen. Adonai, please, by the power of your right hand, untie the bundled sins among your people. Purify us, O awesome one. And may you change our essence. May you grant us true metamorphosis, regeneration, renewal, and a deepening of who we are as your people. As we confess, as we repent, and as we enter into Shlikot, heading into Rosh Hashanah, may you cause us to be able to stand before you in the day of judgment falling on our faces, hearts completely broken and contrite, nullifying ourselves before your awesomeness, before your greatness, lowering ourselves to serve you as true servants of your kingdom, walking in the footsteps of Mashiach Yeshua, who took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, and washed the feet of his Talmudim, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, poured out his life like a drink offering to the point that he sweated blood and was taken captive unjustly and taken through trials and placed on a stake and crowned with thorns, crying out for forgiveness for all mankind. Father, we haven't suffered to the point of death, but man, to let go of our sins, to let go of our safety blankets, and to really ask you to purify us and, and change us and cause us to walk as your people chosen from among all men, all the nations. It's pushing us, Father. And, and thank you that you've given us the strength and the ability to do that and endure. And through this stirring of Teshua, during this time of Slikot, may you cause us to gain merit and incline in grace. And Father, I pray that you would allow us to see the return of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days. 
Amém. Vê, amém.